How are you, Jordan? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm excited to see you. I'm, I'm, I'm super. I was listening to our last episode. First of all, welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Jordan Reed, who is the author of the big activity book for divorced people and the big activity book for anxious people. But we're going to talk about divorced people today. Um, but before we get into that, Jordan, you were on the podcast before. And I was. I listened to the old podcast and we concluded that episode. For those of you who have not listened to that episode, you have to go back and listen to it because Jordan was on her way to uh, a closure date. And Leo Flowers warned Jordan about how she was going to show up because Jordan was going to go in there in the booty shorts and the high heels and all glammed up. And, and thought it was gonna be a clean break. Tell us, Jordan, was there a clean break or did you? No, not? sir. There was not a clean break. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. I need to know the details right now before we. Oh, uh, so so you you and I met at a very dramatic point in my um, romantic life, where yes. I had just just been divorced for like a year and a half and met someone, fell madly in love instantly, which is always an excellent sign. Um, and then it turned out he was lying about like everything. He had lied about his degree. He had lied about the last person he had been in love with. Like he, he told me that she, they went on one date and she was stalking him, but no, he did exactly the same thing to me as he did to her, which was just like lie about everything. Love bomb, that whole thing. And so I got pretty pissed and when I saw you, I was, yes, I was on my way. Um, I needed to get my camera back from him, but it was really an excuse to give him the opportunity to grovel, um, mostly. And at that point, I still wanted him to say, you know, I was wrong. I love you. I'm crazy. And ask for me back. That did not happen. Um, but I did write an article about this whole experience, which is when it got really messy because I heard from subsequent women that he did this too. Oh. Yeah. And like they had found my article and yeah, because I maybe coded his name into like the back end of the post. <laughs> but I, when you say coded his name, what is it? Did that mean I, like you gave him a nickname? I took it out later because I was like, well, I should that. I like I like did a little hidden button using his name. So I didn't mention his name in the post, but it like came up if you Googled him. Um, hence women finding me. <laughs> uh-huh. That it wasn't my proudest moment, but it was really fun. Did you two hook up? No. Oh, okay. Oh. No. No. So it was a it was a clean break in that there was no hookup, but but emotionally you didn't get the closure you were seeking. No. Immediately, right? No. But I got the closure I was seeking from writing about the experience and hearing I hadn't understood, I didn't know what a love bomb was. That wasn't a word I'd ever heard before. And so when I wrote about it, women just came out of the woodwork and they were like, Oh, this is what that was. And I was like, Oh. So a love bomb is where somebody is like bombing you with love and affection and like, you know, we're going to get married and you're the one and you're amazing. Is that what a love bomb is? Basically. And it's, it all happens very quickly. And there are very interesting concrete signs when you're getting love bomb that I will share with you. Um, but it, yes, essentially it's narcissists do this because they crave, they don't want long-term love and partnership. They crave that initial burst of, sex and connection and adoration and all that. And in retrospect, he used very specific techniques to love bomb me. Like the first second we met, he gazed very deeply into my eyes while he was driving as <laughs> if, yeah, I know. And I was like, please stop doing that. I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> please watch the road. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like the look of like, no one's seen you like this before. I see you. 
and, and that's intoxicating, right? I mean, who doesn't oh, want to yeah. feel seen? I mean, that's why we get into relationships. Uh-huh. And and it's uh he's giving you that 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 attention that maybe that we probably wanted from our parents or mama or papa. Mm-hmm. And uh and so we're like, yeah, more of this, please. Exactly. Exactly. And our, you know, yeah, like you said, our past with our parents leave us vulnerable to stuff like this. Um, shortly after that experience, I went to somewhere called the Hoffman Institute where we beat burlap sacks and screamed at our parents. Like <laughs> I attended my own funeral as a part of this process. It was very interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 everything comes down to craving what you didn't get from your parents for sure. Uh, you know, there's a show on Hulu where they did the exact same thing with it- N- Nicole oh. Kidman. It's called uh like uh, like the I forget the name of the show, but it was like uh Tranquillum or something was the name of the place. And she had people bury themselves and beat up uh burlap sacks and uh stab um um uh like scarecrows with like a wooden sword and all this stuff. And yeah, there was some ayahuasca involved too. Was, were there were there any hallucin hallucinogenics no. involved? I wish. <laughs> that, so, all right. So you, you got through that breakup. And I want to highlight something important that you said. One of the things that brought you closure was the fact that you shared your experience. And right. I want to highlight that because a lot of people think that they can only get closure from the person that like, brought on the pain or the hurt or the disappointment or the betrayal. And there's a quote that says, hurt people, hurt people, and, and hurt people can't heal you, right? You can't mm-hmm. um, expect a person to hurt you to heal you. And so it was by sharing your experience, whether it was writing it down. Did you talk to friends also? I, I'm assuming that you, you shared this experience with close friends and not just, you know, with the public and your fans. Yeah. Um, but that has been a pattern. I've realized that that is how I have learned to process, uh, any issue really is through writing about it. Um, my ex and I, when we used to have, I remember we had this fight constantly, one of those fights that it's not about anything, but it's about everything. And it goes on for years. And one day we had this just really broke down and I sat down to write about it. And whenever I would write about things that were personal to him as well, I would send them to him to essentially approve of, but also he was a wonderful, or is a wonderful writer. And so he ended up helping me with this post. And through the writing, this shared experience of writing this post together, we reached a resolution that I don't think we would have arrived at without I, I don't want to say the slight, like the performative element of it, but there was an element of like, if people are going to read this, I'm not just going to be like, what an asshole, because I, I, I owe people more, a more thoughtful global approach to the problem from all perspectives. Um, yeah. And in regards to like this, this situation with like this, this breakup, I just don't think you can ever really get closure from the other person. Because like you said, hurt people hurt people. And someone who is aching so badly that they treat another human being with such disregard and like casual cruelty is never going to be capable of giving to you what you need. It has to come from inside you. And you know what else I realized as as you're repeating, you know, what I said back to you and that oftentimes when we're going to the hurt person, the person who hurt us for closure. Mm-hmm. We're also hurting. So chances are mm-hmm. we're going to say something to hurt them. So we're not going to get the, it's two hurt people trying to heal each other. And, and it's just not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. I haven't even healed myself yet. And um, I'm wanting that from you. And so I'm probably going to lash out or be reactive or not be present uh, in the moment to make this uh, an effective process, you know? Um so to acknowledge our hurt and, and that it's, you know, we're bringing that to the, to the dynamic or to the relationship at the moment. You know, I actually had a really interesting interaction with another ex um, just last week 
I don't know if we touched upon this in the first podcast episode that I was one of the creators of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Did you know that? I was. And my ex, uh, he was the showrunner and we worked on it for two years together and then we broke up and I was fired um, and have been completely written out of the show's history. Like nobody. Oh, I did know that. I think we. Yeah. yeah okay. Which was obviously wildly hurtful for, you know, a solid decade while I watched them like get, you know, rich and famous and billboards. And I'm like working in HR and crying under my desk. Um, but obviously. I'm like. I have processed all of that so completely that the New York Times, they reached out to me for a comment the other day on a profile they were doing on my ex-boyfriend, Rob McElhenney. And they were clearly trying to get me to like spill tea. They were like, so that was pretty awful, right? And I was like, I don't know. Like it wasn't the nice thing to do what they did, but it was also an understandable thing for a bunch of kids starting on an industry to do. And I have no ownership over the subsequent, God knows how many years it's been on. Like they, they did this thing. It's not my thing. Yay for them. You know, cheerio. And I love him. And we talk like we're friends now. And, and he called me to say, you know, that was, you know, really nice. And I owe you a conversation about this. And I said, no, you don't, you don't, you don't owe me anything. I did the work on for myself and that's nice if you want to talk to me and explain yourself, but that's probably more for you than for me because I'm good. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and because the truth is if he hasn't done the work on himself, if he tries to explain himself, he could actually reopen wounds because if he, if he's not, if he's unable to communicate from a place of really understanding and, having clarity as to what was going on in all his different layers and you have done the work, then he might say something that, that could upset you. So uh, it's, it's valuable to highlight once again, the importance of taking responsibility for how we feel and, mm -hmm. and doing the work for ourselves because the other person, you know, they, they, they they're, I don't want to say damaged, but they're going through some things and, and they don't have an understanding either. Uh, completely of, of what they're doing unless they've done the work. Yeah. And he, but even if they have, it's still, it's still your, 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 your responsibility. Fulfillment is your own responsibility. Right. I love that. I love you have a, a post in your Instagram feed about, um, you know, recognizing part of why you got married and how one of the reasons why you love marriage is that it's it's partly it's essential to your identity and sense of self. Uh, it helps you to be seen. You have shared memories, um, and it's and you kind of alluded to like if you remember what happened and I remember what happened, then that means it happened, and uh, and and it goes back to being and feeling seen. How I I, I want to highlight that first because people get married for different reasons, and unless you know why you are internally getting married. One is the person, you love that person, they're caring, they're kind, you see a future. But you also have like internal motivations of why you're getting married. There's, there's something in you that you're hoping for this marriage to fulfill. And if we don't get it from the marriage, resentment can build up. Like I married you because I want to be seen and you're not seeing me. And other person was like, I didn't know that that was a condition. <laughs> For our marriage. <laughs> so tell me, uh, Jordan, because I was just talking to this with my marriage, uh, marriage couples therapist yesterday. What does it mean for you to feel seen in a relationship? Like, what, what is that person saying, doing, like, practically for the listeners out there who have no idea what that is? Uh, well, I, I present this with the caveat that I have learned that this is not a healthy way to operate. Um, but as I, you know, ever since I was a teenager, I've had this very strong feeling that I, that a relationship was the central thing that required for happiness in life. And that didn't extend to friendships, which is interesting. Like friendships, I was like, those are nice, but that's not the thing. 
Um, and I definitely got into a series of very consuming relationships. I was the kind of person where, you know, I meet, fall in love and they are everything. I don't want to not be around them. Um, friendships definitely take the back seat. Um, everything takes the back seat, really. And that felt normal to me until my divorce. And it was about also like this, you know, like the language you develop with someone when you were with them for a long time. I think it was that. It, and I remember when I met my ex-husband, feeling like I had met it, I had this very concrete feeling of having met my other, the other hot, like half of my coin or, or the other side of my coin. And we were so similar. And when he, when he wrote, it sounded like when I wrote, like we, it just felt like meeting me as a dude. And it turns out I probably shouldn't be married to myself, <laughs> but also he wasn't me. He has his own things. And so when those things came up, I was like, well, that wasn't what I signed up for. I signed up for the yin to my yang, not like a completely independent person with their own goals and dreams and approach to life. This is bullshit. Get in line. Um, and so we broke up. <laughs> the, so, and, and you have how many kids? Two? Is it two, two, two boys, right? A boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. Talk, talk me through the custody of that. And I'm asking because... Um, when we look at suicide rates, the suicide rates for men in a divorce is about eight to nine times higher than it is for women. And it has to, it revolves partly around uh, custody where the husband is losing the wife and also losing the kids, mm -hmm. but also losing the support group because most of the times the guy's friends are her friends. And then, so he's losing and he's losing the house. So he's losing the house, the kids, the wife, the friends, uh, yeah. basically left on an island. Um, in some cases, the the husband does get the kids and um, and doesn't allow the wife to see them. And so the wife, when they're contemplating suicide, is thinking, well, if I could lose the love of my husband, then I probably, does that mean I could lose the love of my children? Right. It's more about the the love or the connection where I think for men, it's more about the the physical contact of like, I, I want to see my kids physically. Well, and the emotional labor that women provide in spades. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my husband or Max, he said to me not long ago. He's like, you know, I had he had the kids for like five days straight or something, and he was like, this is really hard. He's like, I haven't like been able to do laundry. I haven't been able to go grocery shopping. God, life was so much easier with like two adults living in the house. And I was like, uh, no, it wasn't. You just weren't doing any of that. You had that all done for you. And I didn't say that. Well, now I'm staying on a podcast. But <laughs> I didn't say that because boundaries and there are things that we, we just don't need to go into. Like, it's fine. But yeah, like, like it's men are like ripped of all of that lovely emotional support and technical support that in traditional hetero relationships, the women provide, you know, all of the caretaking of the kids, the house builds, like whatever. Um, but no, our custody, we had a really hard time in the beginning and we're like, you know, I want more days and you want more. But now the pandemic actually functioned to bring us very close. And it became apparent that all custody agreements just went completely out the window during the pandemic because there was no school. Like he had a job that he had to go to. I work from home and we just had to make it, make it work. And it, it turned out to bring us much, much closer together and make the kids much, much happier. And something really positive that has grown from that has been the kids get to see that there is no one version of love the way I believed growing up. Like romantic love is everything. The love that my ex and I have is real. And it is, it is about a shared life together and a shared, it's a partnership. Um, when we date other people, um, obviously we're careful about introducing them, but I like that the kids are getting to see there are all these different forms of love and they're allowed to evolve. 
they don't have to stay in that one place that they started in. Um, someone I dated for a while who my kids ended up meeting, he and I broke up and now we're, we work together. We're business partners and we have a great friendship. So they get to see that. And I really like that for them. That, that relationships aren't a all or nothing proposition that it yeah. can, it can um, have different phases. It can evolve or change or it's, it's a, it's fluid and life can be fluid. And that's a beautiful thing to teach the kids. Thank you. What I, I'm assuming that, be, you know, you're such a, a sharing and vulnerable person that therapy was a part of, um, you know, you handling the divorce emotionally. I know that, you, you know, you surrounded yourself with friends. Was there anything that your therapist um, asked you to do or made you aware of that maybe you weren't aware of before? Uh, my therapist, uh, we ended up actually going to couples counseling together post-divorce to oh, help. Tell us. me more about that. Yeah. yeah. So I think I got a lot more from it than he did. I don't think he, because he was doing a lot of therapy on his own. And at the time I wasn't really. So, um, but this couples counselor said to me something that was so interesting. Um, so, so Kendrick, my ex used to say he came over for dinner. And I really enjoy, I still enjoy making him happy. I know what food he likes. It's fun for me to, I make a nice dinner and I make everything he likes. And I like to clean up the house before he comes there and whatever. And then when he leaves, we got in this fight once because I said, could you take out the trash on your way out? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you need my help? And I went, you know, full, just postal. Like I did all this stuff for you and you're so ungrateful and you can't even take out the trash. And I told my therapist or our therapist this, and she was like, well, but that was your choice to make that nice dinner for him. You wanted to do that. You wanted to clean the house. He doesn't owe you anything for that. That is not the relationship you have anymore. If you choose to do things for him to make him happy, you don't get to put an expectation of a quid pro quo on him. And if he chooses to take out the trash, that's nice. And you say, thank you. You don't expect it of him because that is not where you are right now. And that made a really big impact on me. And so during the pandemic, then when he would come over for dinner, if I didn't feel like making dinner, I didn't feel any pressure to make, I like, I was like, I won't clean the house and let's just get takeout. And, and if he said, do you want me to take out the trash? I'd be like, thank you so much. If, if you don't mind, as opposed to expecting things from the partner that are more of a romantic relationship expectation. You know, I wonder how many marriages would be saved if people did what they really felt versus trying to please the other person and then expecting something in return for the effort put in. Right. Like, mm -hmm. because a, a lot of it is we're doing things that are, and it's not authentic. Like, I don't really want to do this, but I feel pressure to do this because such and such is coming over. And then I'm upset if things don't go according to plan. And that's emotionally draining. Like there, there can't be anything left over for intimacy. If we're like, putting ourselves on a treadmill and we haven't even checked in with our, our partner to see, Hey, are you, do you even need all this is, or am I just making this all up in my head? But also, like you said, to check in with yourself to say, Oh, this is something that I like to do. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm doing this for me. And that's where the joy is. And it has, you know, it's like that Zen thing of um, where they, uh, they build things on a sand and just let the water destroy it as soon as it's, it's done huh? because they're just doing it for themselves. You know, it's okay. But if they were yeah. doing it for admiration, then they'd be like, Oh my God, the water destroyed my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We used to um, have this. I realize now how little respect I had for what he wanted because I didn't understand that mm. he wants something different than what I wanted because I was right. <laughs> So we would, you know, every weekend I would plan these exotic like day trips. And he was like, Jordan, I just worked like in an office all week. Like you're at home with the kids and like working at home and whatever. And I just want to be home. And I was like, I can't be home. Like we, we have to go. And I just, I didn't understand why he wouldn't want to go on a lovely day. You're laughing at me. 
why he wouldn't want to go on a lovely day trip to an antiquing town when that's so obviously the nicest thing to do on a Saturday. (laughs) And so he did these things for me, but I didn't like them. And I feel I have a lot of guilt over that. I just, I didn't really ask him what he wanted to do because I didn't respect the answer, which was nothing. And part of that is because we take the nothing personal, right? If you're, if you're rejecting my idea, then essentially you're rejecting me. And that is unacceptable, right? It's hard to separate the two. Yes. Uh, and I, I could I could feel it in times, uh, certain times where I, I'm saying like Michelle want to do something or or she does something. I'm like, I don't like that. And I could see like the look of dejection or hurt in her face. And I'm like, it's the thing I don't like. I still love you and I still like you. But that thing doesn't, you know, doesn't work for me. And, um, and but it's hard. It's hard emotionally. to be like, I poured my heart and soul and I really thought through, and I knew you were going to and. And then to be like, nah, <laughs> it'd be like Christmas morning, like Christmas is coming up and your kids unwrap the gift and they're like, what is this? <laughs> like that would be <laughs> devastating. You're like, it's a $3,000, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I love your book, uh, Jordan. And there's a, there's a couple things that I, I want to discuss from it. Uh, one is you ask some really great questions in the book. And these are questions that I think are powerful because a lot of times we spend so much time making statements and we're just so certain about X, Y, and Z that we don't take time to ask ourselves questions. And you, you, uh, one of the three of the questions that you ask are, who am I, what am I enjoying, and what are my dreams for the future? Because when we're in pain and we're hurt in the divorce, we're not thinking about the future. And if we are, we're thinking worst case scenario. We're, we're catastrophizing the whole thing. And we forget about all the things in life that we can still enjoy and that we still love and that we still have access to uh, versus, you know, being in regret over all the things that we are losing. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the things that um, you are currently enjoying? I... <sighs> You know how they say like divorce spreads, like one person in a group gets divorced and then like everyone else does. Are you enjoying everybody else's divorce? Is that- <laughs> I'm getting divorced, but I do worry that I might spread divorce because I'm so damn happy. Like this is how life should be. My ex and I get along great. He's, he's working from my house. I think he's here right now. I don't even know. Um, hopefully not listening to this interview. Um, and like, I get my kid, I can like not have my children for a weekend and I can go on a date or I can like sleep in. Um, my house is exactly how, I, well, not the kids' rooms, but we won't discuss that. My house looks how I want it to look. It's decorated how I want it decorated. Um, I'm, I, I watch shows that I want to watch without getting yelled at because I watched the next episode before they arrived home or whatever. Um, there is just, it's just all of those things that I thought were so important and that I thought my kids would not be okay without. I thought they, I mean, the extent to which they are better now blows me away. They have thrived under this experience of having two adult or two parents who care about each other, care about them, are flexible are enjoying their own lives. They get to see their parents enjoying their own lives. Um, yeah. Um, and kids are so resilient. And you brought up something that's really, I want to highlight in terms of they get to see two adults being flexible. Lori Gottlieb, uh, who's a relationship uh, specialist, uh, doctor. Did she write that? Maybe you Someone? Yes. Yeah. The yes. author, maybe she, yeah, I've had her on a podcast also. And she talks about how two of the most important qualities to a lasting relationship. One is emotional generosity and two is flexibility. And I think that historically we've attached flexibility to be like letting somebody walk all over you and you giving in to the other person. And when really flexibility is like, 
looking at what the situation is right now as it is and what do we need to do to thrive versus trying to hold on to just same same thing with your custody situation, right? You had a custody agreement, but then COVID hit and a pandemic hit. And then you said, okay, that no longer works under these circumstances. We're going to have to be flexible and make adjustments. And now he's at your house fixing the plumbing and. No, and- stop. <laughs> no, I fixed doing- the Thank okay. you. <laughs> or doing whatever he's doing around that. <laughs> he's putting up a, 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 a painting or, uh, or filling the water bottles. What, what, <laughs> what would you say was over there? Didn't you say somebody was over? Yeah. Who? You my internet. I don't know. Oh, your internet. <laughs> Remember, we're divorced now. He don't have to hang any pictures anymore. <laughs> he doesn't. But, you know, I, I know of, of couples where they, they so a case in point, the couple next door to me, um, Scott, and uh, uh, I hope they don't listen to this because I forget her name. And they do so much work. But anyway, they were married, got divorced, and then she bought a house. She didn't want to live in it by herself. And he moved in. So they're roommates now. Amazing. I know. And they get along perfectly. Like they, They're probably better friends now than they were when they were married. But he fixes all the things around mm-hmm. the house because that's just what he does. He's, he's that guy. He's always in the garage yeah. fixing things. So uh, it's, you know, I want to highlight once again the, the importance of, you know, you to have been flexible and adaptable. And you, you've also, it sounds like you've increased your communication uh, with each other in terms of uh, what your needs and wants are and, and, and how the kids get to see that. And that's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's been really lovely. Like, the other, like, I always was sort of the fixer upper person around the house. And the other night he was over and we had dinner with the kids and we were watching a movie and he saw me struggling to lift a box with like a bookshelf into my room. And he's like, do you want me to get that for you? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause boundaries. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like, just, just here. And he ended up and we sat on the floor in my bedroom. We built a bookshelf together and it was fun. And it was because I wasn't demanding anything of him. He was offering freely of and generously of his time and energy. And instead of being like, yeah, you better like your children live here or whatever I could have said, I was like, thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. I really appreciate it. And we kept reiterating this verbally over the course of the evening. Cause I, I could tell we were both trying to create a lot of positive reinforcement around that type of interaction. Right. And right. Words over and over. I'm saying, I'm seeing you. He's like, I'm pre I'm hearing you. And so it's it, I, it's it's lovely. We did talk about the potential roommate situation, but um, he's very messy. <laughs> I just well, can't. Well, he would have his own room. He would make the mess in his room and then keep the no. common. Okay, no, all right, no. got you. Mess spread. <laughs> it's no. like divorces, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like with this divorce, you found it, um, some more freedom, a freedom, a newfound freedom. And also like a sense of control over the environment. Those sound like two things that you value highly. Yes. And when tell me more about that. I mean, just, I have realized that, yeah, like the amount of control I exert over my physical environment, that was a problem in our relationship for him because he doesn't want to live that way. And it's, and you know, and that's fine. That's, that's his prerogative, but it is so important to me that it wasn't for me, something I could just like abandon. And that's a situation where maybe we're like incompatible people living together. And that's why I find it fascinating when people find those, like your friends or roommates now, those alternative ways to make relationships work because people People really give you a hard time when your relationship doesn't look like what they understand a relationship to be. Like the number of times I've had people ask if we're getting back together just because we get along and hang out all of us with the kids all the time. And I'm like, no, we be just because you can't put my relationship in a box doesn't mean it's not great and valid and right for us. So, you know, if you're if you love someone and you've incompatible living environments you can do something flexible and people might not get it, but screw them. 
it's not their relationship. Yeah. Was there any shame with announcing the divorce? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, totally. Because I think I also, given especially what I do, which at the time I was now I, my the books are my primary uh, job. But at the time, writing my website, Ramshackle Glam, was my primary job. And I presented a very pretty picture. Like I told the truth. I talked about arguments or bad days or whatever. But I definitely participated in the unfortunate curation of a veneer of perfection that, you know, when it fell away was, yeah, it was, it was embarrassing. Um, I continued to try to like put this sort of, like I still posted like cute photos accompanying like my sad divorce posts. And I don't, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about that in retrospect about the, that sort of curated emotion, um, which is why I don't write as much on the website as I used to, because I'm not interested in tying things up with a neat little bow the way I used to. Right. We all want that Hollywood ending, you know, we want closure once again. And you recognize that like, that's not your responsibility. It's the responsibility of your readers, of your listeners to find the closure for themselves. And, and that can be exhausting too, of like trying to figure out how do I frame this in a way that um, lets everybody off the hook versus yes. just continuing a conversation. Yeah. And that, that blog posts don't lend themselves to that really. <laughs> so there has to be a beginning, middle end, right? What you talk about in the book, um, divorce playlist what's a song or two that that you were playing over and over again you know at the beginning of the, like at the at the height of your heartache and then what do you what are you listening to now uh the worst day i think and also one of the most emotional and freeing and overwhelming days of my life was when i i had sold my house the movers had come, they had taken off in the moving truck and I, I love my plants. And so I had decided to rent like a little U-Haul to attach to the back of my truck to like take my plants to my new place. But it, I was living in Northern California and I moved to Southern California. So as I drove away from this house that I had just spent three years pouring my, like all my renovation love and soul into, and I loved that house driving away from my best friends, um, from everything. And I was alone in this, like with a U-Haul full of plants and I'm driving down the highway and I turn on the radio and it's like the bangles and Cheryl Crow and like all the most embarrassing girly, like Cindy Lauper. And, and I'm just sobbing and laughing and like primal screaming. And it was, it was cool actually. And then I called my ex-husband in that state and I just sobbed and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. And I love you. And I always will. And yeah, that was, that was an intense drive. <laughs> Tell me about the primal screaming. I've, I've had um, clients who have taken workshops and classes on screaming and demoting. I have a friend of mine in uh, one of my men's groups who he'll go hiking just so he can yell at the top of his lungs. He's like, there's nowhere left on the planet for me to yell as a large black man and people not be terrified to death. He's like, and he said the thing he hated about the pandemic was that the hiking trails were now packed and he didn't. And so even the hiking wasn't a place where he felt safe enough to, to really yell. So tell me more about this primal screaming and, and what it does for you. Uh, so I did do some some forced primal screaming in that workshop I told you I went to. Um, but the two primal screams that I can ever recall just coming unbidden and without any ability to, to quell them. Um, the day that I asked my then husband for a separation, um, I went into his off his therapist and, and like read a letter so that his therapist would be there for support 
and I would leave. That was my, that was my plan. Um, control. You can see the control coming out powerfully. Um, but then I had done that. I did the thing that I had been terrified to do. And, and it's like breaking a wall of glass. Like you, you can't put it together the same way once you say those words. And I got in my car and I called my friend and she sat there on the phone and bless her for listening. And I just like, ah, like screamed and, and I couldn't stop screaming because of the fear and the exhilaration. Like there were, so, and I did it. And also I did it. Like so many different things were going on. Um, which is, I think, similar to how I felt when I drove away from the house, that that sense of like, there is no going back. And that is exhilarating and terrifying in equal measure. There, there's a, a Japanese um, art. It's called Kintsugi. K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. It's the art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold. And yeah. the idea is that they intentionally would break things and then put it back together so it was stronger, like the gold was a stronger bond. And so when you talked about primal screaming, it's basically like breaking our the pottery and then putting it back together with, with gold. So that's how I think about it, because I've, I've done it too with the screaming. Singing, if you don't want to scream, even singing at the top of your lungs, like you're talking about Cindy Lauper and, uh, you know, I don't go to Cindy Lauper route, but, um, but there are definitely, uh, songs that I'll, I'll sing and there's just something, um, detoxing about it and spiritual. And, um, there's a, a chant, like you, you do that like enough times, especially with a group of people, right? There's something intoxicating also about chanting and yelling with a group of people that, you do feel whole again. You, you feel broken in the beginning. You're like, what the hell is this? And then at some point, like you kind of lose yourself in it, like Eminem, and um, it starts to become cathartic for you. Well, that's why, I mean, the, the core reason that I wrote this book is that I, I broke, like I shattered into a million pieces and you know to keep the pottery metaphor like i am not the same i will never be the same our relationship will never be the same our family will never be the same but it has grown into something so beautiful that i'm so proud of and i just wanted to communicate a that divorce is really fucking funny if you think about it like the way that you guys lose your shit at each other is my ex and I now like die laughing over like how <laughs> crazy we both were <laughs> towards the end of our relationship, just like, ah! um, and also that there's just so much good shit on the other. Sorry, I'm cursing like a sailor this morning. So much good stuff on the other side. Um, you know, my ex and I, uh, for people who can't, can't see my tattoo shortly after we got divorced, um, for Christmas, we decided to get each other tattoos and we sat, this is post-divorce. We sat down with our kids and we painted something called an Enzo symbol, which is, um, it's a Buddhist symbol. It's a circle that you have to create in one swoop and you leave the end open. So the concept is you can't go back and make it more perfect. You can't fix it. It's, it's, it is what it is. And it's, there's always something coming next. And so we sat there with our kids and drew our Enzos and got our tattoos. And um, I think, I like to think that we've followed through on, on the promise that we made that day. Oh, now, where did you get that idea? Divorce tattoos I've mm -hmm. never heard of. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Was that an original idea? Was that something you read or your friend suggested that? I think I, 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 think I can take credit for that. That sounds like a great TV show, too, for Netflix. Um, like uh, divorce tattoos. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you run away with that. Um, <laughs> did you throw a divorce party? No, no. I was fine. You you what? I was pretty upset. I mean, <laughs> I think people 
some people get divorced and they're like, woo. And like, it's, it's like unshackling, but we had small kids and there was a lot of, there was a lot of love. Like their love was never our problem. So it wasn't like, it wasn't funny for like a year. Like I didn't find funny bone for, for a while. Um, but, but divorce parties, I do suggest some in the book. If, if you want to do it, do it. Yeah, because the alternative to that, I would think would be like a divorce cuddling. I know they have like cuddle parties, but I don't know um, what, like, if it's not a party, it would be like a, a divorce code. It has to be another word for like the opposite of party, but like where it's like more intimate and more like nurturing and supportive. I mean, there is also like an exciting, like, I'll tell you something, going on the apps as like an almost 40 year old woman who was last single before the apps ever existed. Mm-hmm. Mine, that was a party on its own. I was like, this is amazing. I can just pick human beings. Yeah. Like Uber Eats. I, and then you realize within like a week, how not amazing it is and how really, 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 really awful it is. We have a whole word search in the book that are like things to avoid on the apps. Ooh, I was going to ask you which you've been guilty of. What I've been guilty of? On the apps. Oh, yeah, I've been on apps. So it's a, a word search for things that, like, if you're a woman, just run if you see these. Shirtless selfies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet you did. Uh, burning man pics. Nah, I've never been a burning man. That's a hard pass for me. If I but, see a burning pic, I am out. But I would definitely post that, though. Burning yeah. man? Like, you know, you're outside. It's a festival. You're around people. Why, why, why the thumbs down? You, you're afraid of, like, they're going to smell like patchouli or what? Oh, it's Burning Man. It's just this like, it's the rich people pretending to be hippies and do. <laughs> I just, it's so obnoxious. <laughs> it's just so inauthentic. Right, right. They're drinking $20 bottled water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. And like cultural appropriation up the wazoo. And like, I just can't with any of that. Um, people who lie about their ages, I've encountered many of those. Really? No, I've never lied about it. I've always been. I think, but it's always because I look young for my age. So I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I've, I've, that's the people who lie. So, so say it again. Like I, there was this guy went on a date with, he said he was 44 or something. And he looked like 38, but he was really young looking. And on the date, he was like, actually, I'm 54. I just didn't want to tell you. And I was like, that's (laughs) a big jump. And and he was like, well, because people would think my photos were fake if I told anyway. And that's a big red flag for me. And then, um, you know, fedoras, that's another hard right, pass. Right, 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 right. No, what about man buns? Are, are you, are you, are you? By a man bun. You're, you're, in, you're into the man bun? I'm dating someone with a man bun. You are. See, to I, me, that speaks, uh, uh, not, what, what is it? Not Woodstock. What was the place? That, uh, uh, the first one? <laughs> Say it again. Malibu. No, no the um the 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 place where you said if you had photos there, it, it like it would be a hard pass. Burning Man. Burning Man. Yeah, yeah. To me, uh, man bun speaks of Burning Man. No, there is the ironic man bun, and that is a Burning Man bun. And then there is the I have long hair and I do sports and I need to tie it back somehow. And those are very different things, my friends. And I can. T- all right, so so you and I have a, a shared um, uh, person that we love to listen to, Alan Watts. What is it that's so soothing about, right, become what you are? What is so soothing about Alan Watts? I, 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 every people I know who are really going through it, I listen to him, people listen to him. And the irony is like he, he ended his own life. His words are so it's like the father that you wish you had. What what is it for you that resonates with Alan Watts? Um, ever since I was a very young child, I have struggled with super intense, like existential angst, meaning of life, death. I I thought about these things way too young. And I see my daughter actually, she's seven, and she has something she calls the thing. And it's a, and I know what she's talking about. I can tell it's, it's that feeling of there is like a a fear of meaninglessness or um, 
like really, really big concepts. And the problem with these, these big concepts is you can't really answer them. So it's not like you can be upset that death exists and get over it. Cause actually it's fine because no, it's, it's, you die. Like you, you can't avoid that. So you can't really find a way to make yourself feel better. And something about the way Alan Watts explains everything from like death to meaning to the universe. It's like, he's taking this ancient language of like all of our wise elders combined together from like, you know, eons past and translating them into words that, that I can understand. And that's, they saw, they, they, they feel like they click things into place. And I understand the larger picture beyond myself. And that, that is what I always was searching for. And he is, he is a way for me to access that. Yeah, he has this. If you don't know who Alan Watts is, if you're on Spotify, YouTube, uh, people do a really great job of clipping his uh, talks and speeches and putting music behind it. And it's, it's beautiful, uh, five and 10 minute increments. Uh, but he also has books that you can read. And um, uh, the, the one I always listen to is he talks about how people will buy boats and then not sail them because they realize how challenging it is to learn how to sail a boat, but he says no pleasure can be derived without skill and skill requires a bit of suffering. And I always think about that because anytime, like I, if I want to reach for food, drugs, alcohol, or sex as a way of deriving pleasure, I realize there's no skill involved in any of those. I mean, there's skill involved in sex, but, um, (laughs) but, and there's, but there's skill involved in not reaching for food, but in cooking food. So it's like finding the thing that you typically reach for and how do you reframe or evolve your relationship with it so that you're not taking the easiest route to get there, right? Like I love, say it again. Willpower is such a skill. Yeah, willpower is a skill. It it definitely is. And, And so for you, you know, we talked about Alan Watts. We talked about the book. Um, are you into astrology at all? You know, I would imagine someone who is, you know, getting an Enzo tattooed on the arm and, you know, going to therapy or is that. I mean, I have a Gemini tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> that I got when I was like 17. Does that count? Uh, yeah, I guess that that works. <laughs> I mean, in case I, you forgot your your sign, you're like, hey, wait, what am I? Well, people will always be like, are you a Gemini? I'm like, no. I just decided to get a random, what else? People are so weird. Um, no, we have a section on astrology in this book. I'm looking for it. Um, we we kind of, you know, tease it. We're like, it's the science <laughs> practice. Like, it's, you know, but... Um, like I'm a, I'm like a hardcore Gemini, I think, which is not necessarily a flattering thing to admit about yourself, but, um, I can't find, I don't know, but, uh, we had fun writing these like kind of pretend horoscopes for divorced people. Yeah. And, and as I, I brought it up because I think that for a lot of people who are, um, uh, maybe struggling to find their way, looking for a little direction, astrology Yes, even if you don't believe in it, I believe in using astrology to help make sense of maybe what path you need to go, what direction you need to go, or make sense of your world. And like I said, not to take it as set in stone, but it might be something in your reading where you go, that makes sense for me. That is exactly how I think of it. Thank you for putting such a fine point on it. Like I have tarot cards and I'll do tarot readings for friends, but I always start with, by saying, this is, this is not a party trick. I'm not predicting your future. I'm not like trying to say something that's, you know, and I say, tell me what you want to talk about. And I make the reading a conversation so that they're talking through their interpretation of the cards. And it's, it's pretty amazing that realizations they come to. It's, it's just another form of therapy, really. What uh, feedback have you 
gotten uh, in regards to the book? Like, what is there a story or anecdote where you're like, oh my God, that made the book so worth writing? Oh, um, I mean, the books, all of the books, we have four right now, the anxious people, pregnant people, divorced people, and digital detox are out. And it's always really exciting to me when I walk into like a small independent bookstore in the middle of nowhere and someone has, then the proprietor has all of them, which means like the second the divorce one came out, they were like, yes, like we only sell 15 books in the shop, but I need to have the next one because I, I, you know, I like to think that it, it, it's just a perspective that's needed because people make divorce in particular and also mental illness, um, so sad. And so you can't, you're not allowed to like, think it's funny. You're not allowed to be happy. You have to like wait a certain amount of time before you can pretend to be happy again. Um, and it just, it just doesn't have to be so. And I love the idea of creating your own narrative around these times in your life and around, you know, your mental illness, like other people don't get to tell that story for you. Yeah, I love how in the book you, you said, hey, let's remember what the most important things in life are, right? It's it's low interest rates, uh, <laughs> high-speed Wi-Fi, uh, yep. you know, c- FaceTiming with your family and friends. Like, the book is so funny, but also so truthful. And then, you know, you have a section where you highlight, um, you know, uh, celebrity couples and, like, how short their marriages were. So, you know, it's a reminder of, like, you're not alone in this. You're not the only person to go through a divorce. You're not the only person to struggle uh, and feel hurt and feel betrayal and resentment and, um, you know, custody battles with the kids. Like these are are things that are part of the human experience. So I appreciate you, you know, alchemizing your experience for the, 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 the people out there so that they, they have a, a safe base to go to and have some type of common tool of which to connect with. Thank you. Is there, what are you looking forward to right now? Two last questions. What are you looking forward to Jordan Reed? Oh, what am I looking forward to? Um, There is this movie theater near me that has a little button that you push it and someone walks out and they bring you whatever you want, (laughs) like real food or popcorn or drinks. And I am looking forward to laying in on that like couch seat, paying way too much money for a movie ticket and pushing that button for my popcorn because that's I deserve that for an afternoon. I'm oh for- my god, I love that. It's it's there's a movie theater, same thing. And um, I made the mistake though of going to a dining movie theater and watching the movie Quiet Quiet Place, and oh. I just heard like knives on plates for the whole movie, and it was just driving me nuts. It was like, oh, that's this, yeah. Funny. <laughs> oh no. Um, and the other thing I'm looking forward to is I just bought, um, since my divorce, I've been renting and I just bought my very own apartments. Wow. Oh, look at you. Oh, and that felt really good. However, it does overlook a highway. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to putting up a privacy screen so I can pretend that I don't live on a highway. <laughs> uh, and then last question. Um, well, first, go ahead, plug your book, plug all your things. Where people will find you, where can... Yeah, um, so all of my books, uh, the Big Activity book series is available on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Target, wherever books are sold, really. Um, the, we have the Big Activity book for pregnant people, for digital detox, for anxi- anxious people, and divorced people. We have uh, two more coming out next year and two more coming out the year after that, which is exciting. Um, and you can find me at ramshackleglam.com or on Instagram at ramshackleglam. Fantastic. And then last question, um, cause I always believe that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Jordan Reed? Uh, I have shattered, as I said earlier, not just once in my life. My divorce wasn't the only time that shattered me. Um, I struggled with substance abuse, depression, profound anxiety, and insomnia. And I have been broken more times than I'd like to admit. And the place where I am now and have rebuilt in 
happened to is not anything I ever saw coming, but it's also the most beautiful place I can imagine being. Thank you so much, Jordan Reed. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS or any of the other phone numbers that are listed in the show notes. If you're in Taiwan, Budapest, um, Ireland, Scotland, wherever you are in the world, there are international suicide prevention phone numbers listed in the show notes. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you, Leo. Appreciate you.